Okay, I invite you, if you will, to bow your hands with me and let's invite the presence of the Holy Spirit here tonight. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the gift of life. We acknowledge you as our creator, as the one that has sent Jesus Christ to be our redeemer, and we praise you for that. We recognize that you are worthy to be worshipped tonight. And Father, we ask forgiveness of our sins. We ask you to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And we pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. May he come. May he give us wisdom, understanding, and may he guide us into all truth. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. So let's start our study tonight. The amazing rule of the United States in Bible prophecy. That's what we're going to be exploring. The United States of America has become uh, the most powerful nation in the world. And I believe that uh, prophecy must say something about it. But it can't be just what I think or what the headlines are saying. But it has to be what, uh, what it says. What the Bible says. And that's what we are going to try to do tonight. But before we get into the Word of God, let's, let me just review a little history with you. In the year 1492, what happened there in 1492? Okay, we have Columbus uh, sailing to the Americas and, found, uh, and discovering the, Amer- the, America, the American continent. Um, and after that, we have more and more immigration in- increasing from Europe, um, from other parts of the old world to the new world. A lot of people venturing for, for different reasons, sometimes for economical reasons and sometimes even for religious reasons. Like, for instance, in 1620, we have uh, the Mayflower sh- uh, ship. Uh, maybe some of, you, some of you are acquainted with this history. But there you find who? What are their names again? The pilgrims, okay? So they come in the Mayflower uh, ship and they are trying to flee persecution, religious persecution, first in England and then they go to Holland. Holland was also hard for them, but uh, they couldn't really make a good living in Holland and they venture to go and cross the Atlantic Ocean to the New World so they could worship God according to the dictates of their what, everyone? of their conscience so just a little history here let me share this statement with you whenever the state seeks to do what everyone enforce religious beliefs on its citizen what happens persecution results and history testifies of that and a lot of people that came to the shores of North America before it became the United States of America they understood very well what happened in the old world and when I say old world I'm talking about especially Europe I'm talking also about Africa, especially North Africa, I'm talking about Asian, Middle East. So these people, they understood what happened when the state united with the church or vice versa. The result was always what, everyone? Persecution. That's what it says there. Okay, so, um, you know, the state is supposed to keep um, uh, the, you know what's the what's the word civil civil rights and uh, and the church is supposed to promote morality and they do that in their own sphere separately. 
So when they come to the new world, the pilgrims, they had, a, you know, a reasonable, not all the way through, but a reasonable understanding of religious freedom. But the Puritans um, also came out of the Church of England. They themselves didn't have a good understanding of religious liberty. They wanted religious liberty for themselves. For who did I say? For themselves, but they were not willing to grant to other people, and they... Here in North America, they established their colonies that were basically a union of church and state. You find it right here in the history of this nation. If you go back into the past, you know, the 17th century, the 18th century, you will find different kinds of religious laws being legislated by uh, the governors of the colonies. Now, let me read this statement to you, a historical statement from Marcher. Volume 5, page 297. Notice carefully. Very few, even of the foremost thinkers and moralists of the 17th century, had any just conception of the grand principle. What kind of principle? That outgrowth of the New Testament, which acknowledged God as the sole judge of human, what if you want? Faith, basically it's talking about religious liberty. A lot of people in the 17th, 17th century, they didn't understand the, principle, the principles of religious liberty. But there was a man called Roger Williams. Are you familiar with the history of Roger Williams? Okay, not many of you, but I guess um, some of you, or maybe most of you. Um, Roger Williams, um, he eventually became a Baptist, and uh, he also went uh, to North America, and, uh, and he began to preach a very progressive message. He believed that, uh, you know, the Reformation of the 16th century did not finish. It must continue. God has more light in his word, and we must continue to study and progress in understanding of the truth. So one of the understandings that Roger Williams came was religious, what everyone? Religious liberty. So he believed that the state had no business in telling you how you should worship. You know, had no business when it comes to your conscience. Okay, so notice what he said here. Every man should have what, everyone? Liberty to do what? To worship God according to the light of his own, what, everyone? Conscience. Later, according to the dictates of their conscience. So that principle began to grow. Began to what, everyone? Grow in the fabric of the colonies of North America. So when it came to the point of the American Revolution that built up to, uh, you know, the independence of the colonies, the formation of the nation, and the Constitution, that was what was implemented in the Constitution. I'm sure most of you are well familiar with the Bill of Rights. It says, Congress shall make what, everyone? No law respecting the establishment of what, everyone? religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof so this is just to show how the principle of religious liberty grew and grew in the fabric of the colonies in north america 
And friends, I believe that the Bible has a lot to say about this nation that has, you know, this um, wonderful constitution that promotes this wonderful principle of liberty, of freedom. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me tonight to Revelation chapter 13. What chapter are we going tonight? Revelation chapter 13. And friends, I must tell you, um, before we even go any farther, the study tonight will be... A hard study for you. What kind of study did I say? A hard study. And I don't even mean intellectually. I mean that God, uh, you know, more we study God's word, more the word of God brings conviction, more the Holy Spirit urge us to make a decision for him. Are we together? No. Now, notice carefully here, we are going to Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to show you that Revelation has a lot to say about the United States of America. And that we are going to see a second beast that appeared in Revelation chapter 13 because we already studied the first one last night. Uh, not, not last night, the last time we met. Um, now it appears a second beast and uh, we will see that is a reference to the United States of America. But we are going to begin to collect identifying characteristics what are we going to do now collect what everyone identifying characteristics that's what I've been doing I never said anything here so far just like what I think what uh, the newspaper are saying or what uh, religious leaders are saying we first put all the identifying characteristics one by one and then we all together are able to pinpoint what that power represents so in Revelation 13 verse 11 I want you to see what it says here. The Bible says in verse 11, Then I saw, what everyone? Another beast. So from verse 1 to verse 10, there was one beast that we already studied about. But here we see what kind of beast does it say here? Another beast. Is that the same from the first? Yes or no? Of course not. That's another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. We're going to break down this verse, friends. But one thing I want you to know. The second beast, what kind of beast did I say? The second beast is almost like a, an opposite or a contrast from the first. Are we together? It is a what, everyone, from the first? A contrast. But before we get there and I show you the contrast, let's remind ourselves that a beast in Bible prophecy is equal to what, everyone? A kingdom. We see that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. This is just a review. And the word beast is not offensive at all. It's just another word for what, everyone? Animal, okay? An animal throughout the ages, including our time, is, is very common symbol to represent nations, okay? So we see here another animal, another kingdom. Therefore, friends, as I already mentioned here, a beast is equal to a political power or, or you know, a kingdom. Notice, in Daniel chapter 7, you don't need to go there. You probably remember we saw these four, what, everyone? Four beasts, four animals rising from where, everyone? Out of the sea. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 7 verse 2. They all come out out of the sea. Now the first beast of Revelation 13, it comes out of where, everyone? Notice in verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, no, the first one, not the second. Notice in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see what it says. Then I stood on the sand of what, everyone? 
the sea, and I saw a beast <coughs> rising, up, uh, rising up out of the out of the sea. So, but the second one rose from where, everyone? It rose from the earth. Now, notice, we know that uh, the sea or, or, or the many waters in Bible prophecy is a symbol of what, everyone? The waters which you saw are peoples, multitudes, and what is the next word? Nations and tongues. So all those nations that rose from Daniel chapter 7, they rose in an area that was highly populated. Highly what, everyone? Populated where there was nations, okay, rising. Where there were lots of peoples and tongues and multitudes. But these second beasts, these second what, everyone? Beasts rises uh, out of the out of the earth, and the earth, my friends, by, by you know, uh, default, is a place where there is absence of what, everyone? Waters. Are you, are you with me? So one came out of the sea, the other came out of the earth. So one came out of a highly populated area where there, was, uh, there were nations and peoples and tongues and multitudes like the old world from uh, you know the perspective of Daniel as well as the perspective of John the revelator but the second one came out of the earth where there was absence of what everyone waters where there was absence of mega nations and peoples and tongues and multitudes it was a, a scarce area in regards to people. So notice carefully here the question. Where does this power arise? We already saw. It rose, according to verse 11, out of the, whatever you want, earth. And then the slide says here, this new beast or nation comes out of the earth or a relatively, what? Unpopulated area from the perspective of Daniel the prophet as well as John the revelator. Now, question number two to identify this power. Question number two is, when did this power, what if you want, arise? So we're dealing now with the time frame. We're dealing with what if you want? The time frame. So Revelation chapter 13 help us to understand that. So we see this beast in verse 11, but I want you to see what it says in the very uh, in the verse which is before, which is verse 10, it will give us a clue of the time frame. Notice what is written there. If you have your Bibles, the Bible says, He who leads into what, everyone? Captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the Sword. This is talking about, this is the end or the deadly wound of the first beast. Okay, so the first beast is going down, is going into captivity, is being killed with a sword. And then we see the second beast rising. Are we together so far? If you remember of our studies, but before we go there, I just want to give you a reference really quick. You have the verse over here so you understand what sword means in Bible prophecy. What are we looking for now? What is the symbol that we are looking for? Sword. Romans 13 verse 1, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject to what, everyone? The governing authorities. It's talking about the state power. And then in verse 4 it says, For he is God's what? Minister. Who is God's minister according to the context? 
the governing authorities. So for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he, the governing powers, does not bear the what, everyone? The sword in vain. So what we can expect in verse 10, Revelation 13, verse 10, the second beast, when they go into captivity and are killed by another state power or the sword, we expect to see a second beast, another beast rising during that period of time. Are we together so far? When one is going down, the other is coming up. Now, we study that the first nation in Revelation 13 was the Roman papal power. We saw that, that rule for how long? Do you remember how long it ruled with political power? 1260 years, yes. And it ended that time in 1798 when Napoleon sent, you know, Berthier, his general, to the Vatican, uh, to Rome, excuse me, excuse me, to put Pope Pius VI into prison, taking away the political power of the papacy. What kind of power did I say, everyone? Political power. They still had ecclesiastical power, but no longer political power. That 1260 years, we saw that our last study was from the year 538 AD when Justinian, the emperor of the Roman Empire, gave to the Pope gave to the Roman Catholic Church and state political power. And that lasts for 1260 years all the way to the year 1798. So when we see, um, you know, like one power, as we see, going into captivity and being killed by another state power or the sword, we see that a second beast is rising. Is that clear tonight so far? Okay, so let's go on here. Now, question number three. Question number three it says, how does this power arise? And I want you to see in the Bible. Go back to verse 11, right after verse 10, when it talks about the decline of one power, and then it shows the rise of a second power, and it tells how it, it rises. Notice what the Bible says. Then I saw another beast. Notice this. I highlighted there for you, if you want to see. Coming up. Do you see that expression, coming up? Out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Let's start right there. This expression coming up implies, implies, uh, you know, like a gradual growth. All the other beasts of Daniel 7, they come into power through conquest. One after the other. One falls, the other rises. One falls, the other rises. And if you see the description here of the political power of the first kingdom in Revelation 13, you will see in verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horn ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous Name. So we see that this power had also a process of growing. And we see that clearly in the history of the papal power. It never started with political power. It was only, you know, like a diocese of believers that grew gradually into political power. This nation is the same. It grows gradually into what kind of power did I say? Political power. That was the case of the United States of America. It was a gradual process of growth. Now notice carefully what it says here. Um, this is a, a historical statement. What kind of statement did I say? Yes, yeah, just basic history, friends. 
the new world compared to old. Um, and then it says on page 635, the mystery of her coming forth from where, everyone? Vacancy. Two things over here. So he used the same expression as the Bible used, like the coming up. Here it says coming forth in reference to the United States of America. And then it says from where, everyone? Vacancy, because we saw that the United States rose from the earth where there was absence of nations and peoples and multitudes and, you know, and tongues. And then it says, like a silent, what everyone? Seed. We, the United States of America, grew into a what? An empire. Okay, so it was a gradual process of growth in an area that had vacancy of nations and peoples and tongues. Now, notice, here we have a theologian, Daniel and Revelation, written by Uriah Smith, and he expresses the same concept on page 578. Emerging amid the silence of the earth. Did you see this word? You know, amid the silence of the earth, totally different from the other nations of the book of Daniel that rose from the sea where there was a great concentration of nations and peoples and tongues and multitudes. But... Amid the silence of the earth, adding daily to its power and what, everyone? Strength. So a gradual process. Now, I want you to see here the gradual process of the rise of the United States of America. For instance, large immigration in the what century? 17th century. Okay, so that's when the colonies, the 13 colonies, one by one begin being formed, the development of the 13 colonies. And then we find here... Uh, declare its independence in 17 what? 76. So it's coming up. It's coming up gradually. And then it says, voted the Constitution in 17 what? 87. And then adopted the Bill of Rights in 1791. And finally recognizes a world power by 1798. So we see this gradual power. One power going down in Revelation 13. From verse 1 to 10, the second power rising gradually. One come down, the other rise up. Okay, so that's what happens here. But in different locations, one from where there is a great concentration of nations in the old world, and the other one in the new world where there is very little people, you know, in a not very highly populated area. But I want you to notice something. The first beast, the first power of Revelation 13 has what, everyone? Crowns. But the second one doesn't have any crown. Let me read that with you. Notice in verse 1 what it says. Right in the middle of the verse, the Bible says, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having what, everyone? Seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns, what, everyone? Ten crowns. So implying here that it is a monarchy form of government. What kind of government did I say? Monarchy. But notice the second one. The second one has no crown. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had, what, everyone? Two horns. But was there any crown in the horns? No crown implying it's not a monarchy. It's not a monarchy. And it says two horns like a what? Like a lamb. A lamb is, you know, a baby what? Sheep, right? So it's a relative, relatively young nation, okay? So it's a young nation that has no crowns, implying there is no, no what, everyone? No king. No king. 
Now, let me see if I'm here in the right place. Notice what we saw here. Crowns indicate kingly what? Authority. But this nation has no kings. So let's go on here. Let's go on here. But uh, the word lamb, because the horns are like a what of everyone? Horns like a lamb. You see that there? Now, I want you to understand that the word or the symbol lamb in the Bible points to who, everyone? Jesus. Jesus Christ. You find throughout the book of Revelation, you find throughout the Old Testament, you find John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he, saw, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Now, when it says that, uh, you know, the form of government, you know, the power of this nation is like a lamb, it resembles Christ. Are we together so far? It resembles Christ. Friends, the absence of crowns indicate what, everyone? Freedom from a king. It indicates also they were fleeing from religious persecution. It indicates freedom from a religious leader as well. Now, notice what Jesus says. Because those horns, that power was not a monarchy. It was... Free from monarchy, it was free also f uh, from any religious leader that they were, you know, like fleeing from the old world. But I want you to see here, friends, what kind of, what kind of um, government, what kind of what, everyone? Government would uh, be or would it resemble Jesus Christ? Did you hear my question? What kind of government would resemble Jesus Christ, right? That's what I said, right? So notice, this is Jesus, Matthew chapter 22. You want to go there with me? So mark your Bible here. Make sure you mark in Revelation 13 because that's our key chapter for tonight. And we are going to Matthew chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking. You probably remember that some people tried to trick Jesus and they brought, they asked him if it was fine to, pre, to pay tribute or taxes to who? Caesar, okay? And of course, they wanted Jesus to say either yes or no, because if Jesus said yes, and then he was, a, a, you know, like a, a betrayer of the Jewish nation. And then if Jesus said no, and then they would give him to the Roman authorities. But I want you to see what Jesus says, and he lay out the principles of government that he believes. Notice, they said to him, Caesar's, when Jesus said, bring a coin here, and whose face you see here in this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are what? Caesar's. Let me ask you, did Jesus believe in the state power? Yes or no? Did he believe in civil authorities? Yes or no? You find throughout scriptures, the scripture saying that we must obey the civil authority as long as they don't contradict the word of God. But Jesus believes in civil authority. He says, you know, just give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we must pay taxes. And then he says, and to God, the things that are what, everyone? God's. Can you see that Jesus made a distinction between the state and the church? 
Give to Caesar that which is Caesar, and don't mix with the things that are God's, and give to God that which is what? God's. So Jesus believes in a government which has separation of church and state. Are we together tonight? That's why it says that the horns of that lamb, uh, I'm sorry, of that beast are horns like a lamb. It has Christian values. It's a form of government that doesn't have crown. It's not a monarchy, but it has Christian values. And if it is not a monarchy, friends, it must be a republic. I'm not talking about a, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I'm talking about a form of government which is by the people and what? For the people. Now, notice carefully. Let me show you some more of the values of Jesus because that beast that nation has horns like a lamb so we need to understand the lamb is a symbol of jesus it resembles jesus christ notice what jesus says in john chapter 8 verse 32 and then verse 36 he says and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you what everyone free if the son makes you what free you shall be free indeed so that's another principle of christ's government he believes in freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. You can just take notes for now. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, everyone? Liberty. So we ought to expect this nation to have this, you know, as the fabric of the nation, you know, the notion or the principle of liberty. That's what it means to have the horns like a lamp. Now, here are six characteristics of this nation. Number one, rises in a, what kind of area? Sparsely populated area where there is not, you know, concentration of nations and powers and multitudes and tongues. And then number two, arises around 1798 in a gradual process of rising up. Okay, and it is a young nation just like a lamb is young, and it's a government without crowns, so it's not a monarchy, it must be a republic. And has Christian principles like the, the principles of freedom, the principles of separation of church and state. And it's a worldwide power. We didn't see that one yet, but we're going to see as we unpack chapter 13. We're going to see more and more that it is a worldwide power. Friends, all these six characteristics point to the United States of America, unmistakably. There is no other nation that fits all these six characteristics that we just put it here for you than the United States of America. You know, as one power is going down, Revelation 13, verse 10, you know, goes into captivity through the sword of the state, the French Revolution taking the political power, the papacy, we see another one rising up. Okay, so in an area which was the opposite of the rise of all the other nations of Bible prophecy that we saw in the old world, it rises in the new world. Okay, it's a young nation, just like a lamb is a young nation, and doesn't have crowns. It's not a monarchy. The United States is not a monarchy. It's a republic, and uh, it's a form of government with Christian principles, and the principle of liberty is part of the fabric of this nation. It believes in the separation of church and state. That is right there in the constitution of this nation. And as we're going to see, it is a worldwide power. Now, notice Revelation 13, verse 11. What, uh, what verse are we now? 
Verse 11. Go back to Revelation 13. Notice verse 11. The Bible says, Then I saw another beast, that's the United States of America, coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, you know, like uh, Christian principles in that nation. And by the way, as we are going to see, the two horns like a lamb, which is, you know, the power of this nation, okay? The power of this nation, which is Christian principles, and none other than the separation of church and state. It is a state without a king, and it is a church without a pope. There is freedom from the king, and there is freedom from the pope. And they are promoting liberty of conscience, which they didn't have in the old world. Okay, so we have here uh, republicanism and Protestantism, And by the way, Protestantism, the basis of Protestantism is the Word of God. Is what, everyone? The Word of God. Remember that this is a Christian principle. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what, everyone? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Matthew 4, verse 4. So we can expect to see this nation have these Christian values, these Christian principles of separation of church and state rising there, okay? But uh, um, also has, you know, like a, a deep Protestant root, which has as the basis of faith the Word of God. But they don't mingle the two, except prophecy seems to show attention, shows a what, everyone? attention because it says that has horns like a lamb but then what happened it spoke like a dragon and if you study the dragon in the book of revelation you will see that the dragon is often persecuting those that want to remain faithful to god let me show you really quickly you don't need to go very far just go to chapter Thir- uh, 12. We are in chapter 13, right? And now we are going to chapter 12. Let me show you really quick. Notice what we find in verse 17. What verse are we in chapter 12? 17. You don't have here in the slide. So notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman. We are going to study about this woman tomorrow. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, you know, her children. And who are the children of the woman here that the dragon is enraged and went to make war against them? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of what? Of Jesus Christ. So you see that the dragon is trying to persecute those that wants to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Okay, so... So this nation here, although has Christian principles like separation of church and state and religious freedom, um, will eventually speak like a dragon, friends. We will see as we unpack the message today that that is actually happening in this nation. Now, question, if it will speak like a dragon, what does it mean to speak like a dragon? How does a nation speak, friends? Did you hear the question? Here it is. Oh, there you go. Some of you are following really carefully here. Notice, I'm trying to pass this slide, but it's not going anywhere. So how does any nation speak, friend? It speaks through its laws. If a nation wants you to know what they expect from her citizens or its citizens, it will be through legislation of laws. It will speak like a dragon, meaning that it will legislate laws that has... The principles of the dragon. 
which is oppression of the conscience, persecution against those that wants to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revealing a tension between the idea of horns like a lamb, but yet speaking like a dragon. So we can expect this nation, okay, to have an alliance also with the church, okay? So we will see church and state happening in this nation, and I'm going to unpack this more and more. Some of you may be thinking, impossible, friends, I'm relying here on the prophecies of the Bible, the prophecies that have predicted the rise and fall of empires for more than 2,000 years are now predicting that the United States of America will eventually speak like a dragon. And we're going to see that this is actually fulfilling right before our eyes and it will increase more and more. But let's continue here. Notice carefully what it says here in verse 12. Verse 12. We are in Revelation 13, verse 12. The Bible says, And he, who is he here? The second beast, the United States of America. And he exercised how much authority or power? All the authority of the first beast. And we, we learned that the first one that rose, the first power that rose, the word beast or animal is a symbol for power, um, had power over the nations of the world, the known world of the time. And this one will have also the same kind of power. It will be a worldwide power. That was the sixth characteristic of the United States of America, of these beasts, the second beast. But notice, it says that he, the United States of America, exercised all the authority of the first beast. And notice the sentence now. In his presence. Can you see here an alliance between the United States of America and the first political power of Revelation 13. You know, basically, um, as we have studied, the Roman Catholic Church and state, there will be an alliance. And causes the earth and those who dwell in it to do what, everyone? Worship the first beast, and we're going to see how in a little bit, whose deadly wound was what? Healed. So we see that the deadly wound that was given in the papal power in 1798 by Napoleon, by taking the political power of the papacy, is going to be healed. And we saw in a presentation two nights ago that Mussolini in Italy, he returned the state power to the papacy in um, 1929. And that power has been increasing over the years more and more. So we will see here, according to Bible prophecy, that there will be an alliance a proximity between the first and the second beast of Revelation 13. Now notice, I want you to see here, friends, that these states, some of you, I know, some of you are immigrants in this nation, just like me. And uh, perhaps you have disadvantage here tonight, and that's okay. We are going to march together here. Um, but friends, if you understand the history of this nation, and, and I'm not saying this, that, that we should have anti Catholic mentality. Not at all. Catholic people are wonderful people. They have a lot of wonderful projects, okay? So, um, but I want you to understand the, the mindset of the American people, um, and, uh, and that has been changing. I want to show you a candidate for the presidency of this nation. In the early 20th century, and he was a Catholic, 
And I want you to see what happened with him just for the fact that he was a Catholic. Notice, just basic history here, recent history. Only one Catholic, Governor Alfred Smith of New York, had ever been the presidential nominee of one of the major parties. And then it says, Smith, 1928 campaign, was what? Dodged by claims that he would build a, a tunnel connecting the White House and the Vatican and would uh, amend the Constitution to make Catholicism the nation's established religion. I know that this is like nonsense. I totally get that. You know, and that's not the point I'm trying to make here. The point I'm trying to make here is that American people in the past, had a very anti-Catholic mindset. Are we together so far? That's what we are seeing here, okay? So that's the point. Now, notice, notice here. He was overwhelmingly, what, everyone? Defeated, even losing much of the then-democratic solid, what? South. So they want nothing to do with him just for the fact he was a Catholic. Now, John Kennedy comes along and he had a, if you remember, he had a very hard time just for the fact he was what, everyone? Catholic. Catholic. Okay, he had to explain himself over and over again. He went, he even went to a conference organized by Protestants and evangelicals so he could answer questions that he would remain loyal to the Constitution and not loyal to the Pope. Now, notice what he said. That's John Kennedy. He wrote, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who happens also to be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. So why am I reading this to you? Just to show, you know, that the anti-Catholic sentiment is still lingered even in the days of Kennedy. And if you trace all the way back to the 18th century, 19th century, you will see that it was even bigger and bigger, as, you know, as you go back. Now, but this is changing rapidly. We know that he was elected to be the president um, of the United States, and then we see that after him we have Reagan also, um, you know, having alliance with the Pope. We see in Time magazine, what does it say here, everyone? Holy what? Alliance. For what purpose did the papacy and the president of the United States made an alliance? To bring down what? communism okay to bring down communism so that happened and we see the presence or the, the the proximity as bible prophecy predicted increasing more and more why i'm showing you this because a lot of people especially immigrants but even americans today they have no idea where we we have come from the united states have come from uh, of a highly protestant nation anti-catholic to the point of now every single president they must see the pope and the, the issue here is not the pope i'm just showing that prophecy prophesies a proximity a what everyone a proximity between uh, the united states of america and the roman state power okay are we together so far and that was unthinkable. If I was presenting this seminar like 100 years ago, people would say, you are nuts. That will never happen in America. Are you following what I'm trying to, to, to show you tonight? That's what I'm trying to show. 
But yet the sure word of God said that that was going to happen. That was going to what, everyone? Happen. More recently, we even have uh, uh, the Pope, you know, and the focus is not the Pope itself, but, you know, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and State addressing what, everyone? The Congress of the United States. What do we do in Congress? Okay, so let's go on here. Now, notice here, Revelation 13, verse 12. If you are there in your Bible, I want you to go back there. But that's how far we have come as a nation, um, as far as proximity between one and the other. One began, uh, you know, like the, the United States of America began with principles, with Christian principles of separation of church and state, with, you know, Protestant principles of the Bible as the sole um, basis for our faith. But friends, America is no longer a Protestant nation, by the way. You may say, no, you're not accurate. You just make some research and you're going to see that America has no longer been recognized as a Protestant nation. Just make your researches. I'm not, I'm not going to show you tonight, but notice carefully what it says here. And uh, he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And uh, notice the word, causes. Do you see that word, causes? It's showing here that there will be oppression. There will be what, everyone? Oppression in this nation. That's what it means to speak like a dragon that we saw in verse 11. He will cause the earth and those who dwell in it to worship what? The first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we're going to talk about that right now. How will the United States of America make the people of this nation, which eventually will affect the rest of the world to worship, you know, the first power that we see in Revelation 13. It's not going to be through a direct form of worship, like everyone becoming Roman Catholic uh, members. That's not the case at all, friends. But you need to understand something in the Bible. Why does God forbid idolatry, worshiping images? Through worshiping images, you are actually, you know, worshiping what that image represents, right? But he says there is how many gods? Only one God. Even an angel, if you see Revelation, let me show you Revelation chapter 22. What chapter are we going? Revelation chapter 22. I want you to show what happened when angel Gabriel, what angel did I say? Gabriel showed up to John. And John was overwhelmed by his presence, and John wanted to worship the angel. And I want you to see what the angel told John here. We are now in Revelation 22 and verse 8. The Bible says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of what? The angel who showed me these things. What John was going to do with the angel? To worship and then he said to me see thou what do it not why not why we can't worship not even the angels it says here for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book worship who worship God so friends through idolatry we end up worshiping what that idol represents I want you to see what the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 4. What chapter are we going now? 
13, we are back to the chapter that talks about the United States of America. And I want you to see what it says in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 14 the following. I'm going to put it here just the part I want to highlight, but I will read the whole thing for you. It says, and he receives, uh, oh, excuse me. Yes, very good. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. In the sight of the beast. And then notice carefully. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make a what, if you want? An image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and what? And lived. So we see right over here that what kind of government tells the people, you know, ask the people what they want? Is that a monarchy, yes or no? No, it can't be. It can't be. It has to be a form of government where there is representation. It's a government of the people, by the people, okay? So here we see that they tell those who dwell on the earth to make a what, if you want? An image to the papal power. What is an image, friend? We, ha we have to ras uh, wrestle with this question. What is the image to the beast? An image is a likeness of. It's not the very thing. Are we together? If I show you an image of myself, is that image myself, yes or no? No, the image is a replica. Is a what, everyone? Replica, which is like me. It resembles me, but it's not me. And when you worship that image of me, you are actually worshiping who? Are you following? So the United States will not make people directly worship the Roman Catholic Church and state, but it will be through an image of the Roman Catholic Church and state. Something that is similar to the Roman um, Church and state. Notice carefully here, friends. What is similar to the first beast that we see in Revelation 13 is the union of church and state. The union of what, everyone? Church and state. That nation that had horns like a lamp which believed in separation of church and state and promoted the principles of liberty and freedom, will eventually make an image to the Roman Catholic Church and state, meaning that it will become an alliance of the church and the state. Are we together? Friends, notice what it says here in verse 16. Chapter 13, verse 16. That's the United States of America. He causes, that's, you know, like basically the nation here legislating, you know, like demanding. He causes all, both and small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to do what, if you want? To receive a mark. And we already studied about this mark. It was the mark of the first Power, the first nation of Revelation 13, the mark of the Roman Catholic Church and state. So the United States causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Now, notice, Kevin, just a quick review here. We already exhausted this topic, but I want to read just for the sake of review. Sunday is our what, everyone? Mark of authority. And we saw that the mark was related to the issue of worship. The issue of a what, everyone? Worship. So Sunday is the mark of authority. The church is above what, everyone? 
the Bible. And these transfers of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. So that is um, you know, official source uh, of the Roman Catholic Church and state. So coming from 1923, and we saw several statements like this, that the mark of their authority is Sunday worship. Now, basically, if you go back over here to verse 16, what this verse is saying is that the United States of America will cause the people of this nation to accept Sunday worship as legislated by law. Are we together so far? And that's how they will make the people of this nation to worship the first beast. Are, 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 we, are you following? Okay, so you will say impossible. Impossible in this nation. Impossible. Now, now let me give you some facts over here. In 1888, what year did I say? 1888. We had, um, you know, Senator Henry Blair... Notice, he wanted to push a Sunday law in the national level, in the federal level. Notice, Sunday law in 1888 and 1889, Senator Blair had 14 million, what everyone? Senator, you may say that's nothing, nothing today, but back then it was a lot. Remember, the United States was basically a farm back then. Senator Blair had 14 million signatures of Americans requesting a national Sunday law, about 25% of the entire population of the nation. But that didn't pass because somebody confronted and went to, um, uh, to Congress to protest and say that's against the principles of the Constitution, and eventually it uh, dropped. Now, let me show you what happened in 1961. That's the Supreme Court of the United States of America. In the case, uh, Brumfeld uh, versus Brown, 1961, the Supreme Court upheld a Pennsylvania law, notice the Supreme Court level, upheld a Pennsylvania law requiring stores to do what on Sunday? Close on Sundays, even though Orthodox Jews argued that the law was unfair to them since their religion required them to close their stores on Saturdays as well. So what happened with the nation that believe in separation of church and state and Congress will not legislate any law that will inflict the conscience of the people. What happened over here, you have the Supreme Court legislating a law which has its roots in religion. Now, another one here. Let me show you this. This is a, is a scholar on religious liberty. And uh, he's still alive. He's recently wrote a book about religious liberty in his book, Nicholas Miller. In his book, 500 Years of Protestant and Liberty, From Martin Luther to Modern Civil Rights, on page 82. Today, some people argue that we should return to the intent of the what, everyone? The founders of this nation, especially in regard to what? Religious liberty. Before we continue, let me tell you what he is actually saying. What he is saying is, you know, like people are saying we need to go back to the original intent of the founders of this nation. And they try to reinterpret the Constitution. Do what with the Constitution? Reinterpret, saying, you know, the way you understand today that we understand for many years is not actually correct. They actually meant something else. Notice, he goes on to say, they believe that some of the Bill of Rights, where you find the, the First Amendment, 
especially the establishment clause which protects the separation of church and state should never have been applied to where? To the states. They said Congress shall make no law pertaining to the establishment of religion. And they say that's the federal Congress. It never applies to the local states. Reinterpreting the Constitution. Why are they doing that? Because they want to empower the states to pass religious laws. Speaking, speaking like a dragon. Now notice, he goes on to say, Indeed, they believe, as recently argued by Clarence Thomas. Who was Clarence Thomas? A sitting Supreme Court justice. I want you to see what he said, which is totally wrong, according to the history of this nation. That the clause was meant to protect the ability of the states to do what? To establish and promote religion. In other words, you know, the clause, you know, that protects... You know, freedom, separation of church and state is for the Supreme Court or for Congress in the national level not to impose, but actually to empower the states. That's a Supreme Court um, judge that believes that way. Now, let's go on here. As we speak today... More than 25 states, I think 29 states in the United States, they have what we call blue laws. The blue laws are basically Sunday laws in different levels. Some forbid, uh, you know, commerce or, or um, transactions on Sunday, like selling vehicles or selling um, alcoholic beverage and so on. But I want to show you this. This is Anthony Scalia. Who is he? Okay, another judge in the Supreme Court, right? Um, notice, ruling of the United States Supreme Court will be decided on the basis of what, everyone? Majority benefit and traditional values instead of individual rights of conscience. So they are basically reinterpreting the whole thing to speak like a dragon. Now, another one here. Help me with this last name. William Rehnquist, ex-chief justice of the Supreme Court from 1986 to 2005, that the wall of separation between church and state is based on what kind of history? Bad history. It should be, frankly and explicitly, what? Abandoned. And, uh, and as, we, as we talk about these things and, uh, you know, those in power are speaking things like that, which sounds more like the dragon, not like the horns like lamb, okay, the American people are completely sleeping. Like a lot of Americans today, and I say this with a lot of respect, okay, I love this nation, I love the principles of this nation, but a lot of Americans, they have no clue of the history that they inherited. Notice, Time Magazine, June 17. 1991, an article about uh, Pope John Paul II on his tour of Poland in 1978, Pope John Paul II denounced excessive materialism, which is great, and the separation of what? Church and state. 
So the two ones that we see in Revelation 13, they are on the same page. They say like, oh, this church and state, this separation of church and state thing, I think it's, it's just not right. It's bad history. We should just do away with all that. Now we have here St. Louis Post-Dispatch, October 29, 1991, as the second century of the Bill of Rights. What do we find in the Bill of Rights? The First Amendment, like the separation of church and state and your ability to worship God according to the dictates of your conscience and other civil rights, it says, as the second century of the Bill of Rights draws to a close, the Supreme Court is redefining what religious liberty will mean in, in the what? In their century. Broadly, the court's new approach helps what kind of religion? conventional religions while hurting unconventional religions. Did you, hear, did you hear the new definition of religious liberty? It's for the majority, no longer protecting the minority. Is that an image to the beast? Yes. Oh yes, friends. Notice, let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 13 first. It says, he, who is he here in the context? The second one, okay? The United States of America. He performs what? Great signs so that he even makes what, everyone? Fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So this whole idea of bringing fire, you know, doing great signs and miracles and bringing fire from heaven. Tell me, friends. Where do you see in the Bible someone bringing fire from heaven? Elijah. Elijah, prophet Elijah. Are we together? Prophet Elijah brought fire from heaven. And when he did that, it was because he was rebuilding the altar. It was a religious revival. It was like what kind of revival? religious revival but here we see the united states of america promoting a religious revival with great signs to the point of having fire coming down from heaven just like elijah and i really believe he's talking about a counterfeit outpouring of the holy spirit because on the day of pentecost when the holy spirit fall upon the disciples or fell upon the disciples they it fell like what tongues of fire Okay, so for what purpose those great signs and this posture of prophet Elijah to have a great revival? What is the purpose? Next verse, verse 14. And he does what, everyone? If it's deceiving, guess what? There is no word of God involved. Or if there is, very little and just what is convenient. Because the word of God is truth and brings freedom. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those, what, everyone? Signs which he was wanted to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, so here we have. There will be a revival in this nation. And you say, but that's a great thing. But the problem is, it's a false revival. What kind of revival, everyone? A false revival. It's a revival of the false Elijah. 
bringing fire from heaven. This is a picture of Elijah, okay? So it's a revival. I don't believe that there will be literal fire coming down from heaven. This is a symbolic language to say that this nation will have this posture of the prophet Elijah bringing this revival to the nation. We need to go back to, the na- to, to God and promote the union of church and state. Now, I want to show you two verses of the Bible. How many verses? Two. And I want to compare the two. The first one is Revelation 13 and 14, talking about the United States of America and the first beast. And uh, the other one is Revelation 19, verse 20. Notice what it says. He performs, that's the United States of America, great what, everyone? Signs. He what? Deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, so now Revelation 19, 20. It's not going to talk about... Uh, you know, use the symbol, uh, the beast with two horns like lamb. It's going to use another name. And catch this. And the beast, that the first one, uh, the Roman state power, um, church and state power, and the beast was captured, and with him the what, everyone? False prophet. Who is this false prophet? Notice the same characteristic of the United States of America. Who worked, what, everyone? Signs. Do you have signs in the other side? Oh, yes. Who works signs in his presence, meaning in the presence of the beast. Notice, the signs was granted to do in the sight of the beast, in the presence of the beast. By which he, what? Deceived. Notice, is there deception there? Oh, yes. So, the United States is also known in Bible prophecy as the false prophet. The false prophet. Why? Because you will have this religious rule in the last days of promoting a false religious revival that will bring people to accept the union of church and state and receive the mark of the beast. Sunday worship legislated by law. Friends, a spiritual what? Decline, natural disasters, social chaos, and economic difficulties lead up to this church and state union and this false revival. The nation is going downhill in a lot of areas, moral areas as well. And the solution will be we must go back to who? To God. That's a good conclusion, but you must do that in the right way. And Revelation 16, 14 says, For they are spirits of demons performing what, if you want? Signs which go out to the kings of the earth so it is spreads to the rest of the world and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Um, I'm going to skip this one. I don't know if I should because time is really uh, advancing here. I think I will. Let me just go here. How can you tell the difference between the true and false? What if you want? Revive. Friends, Homework for you. If you want to study the Word of God, just a little homework for you. Read Matthew chapter 24. Matthew what? 24. Jesus will say over and over again that there will be deception in the last days. There will be what if you want? Deception. Even says false Christ and false prophets. And we see here, you know, um, the United States being called false prophets. Deception, deception. And you need to understand that no one who deceives will have a plaque saying, I am a deceiver. Are you following? 
And we need to know how to distinguish between the true and the false. And how do we do that, friends? What is our only hope to discern between a false revival and true? Because I'll tell you, according to Revelation 13 and according to Matthew chapter 24, there will be a great revival in this nation. There will be a what in this nation? Oh, yes, a lot of people being converted to God, a lot of miracles, a lot of signs, if possible, to deceive who? The very elect. That's what Jesus says. And the question is, how do we discern the Word of God, friends? Jesus said in Matthew 7, you're welcome to go there if you will. Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, what? Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Are they Christians, yes or no? Oh yes, they are calling Jesus, what? Lord. They recognize Jesus as Lord. But Jesus says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And notice, he goes on to say, verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Are they Christians? Yes or no? Oh, yes. Have we not what? Prophesied in your name. And then what? Cast out demons. Remember those miracles that we see? In your name, and then many what, everyone? Wonders in your name. So those are the many miracles, the false revivals that we are going to see increasing in this nation more and more. As we are going to see the table turning, and we are going to see the rise of Protestantism, the, the false prophet in this nation. It's basically apostate Protestantism that has um, gone astray from the word of God. Notice verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice what have you won? Lawlessness. There was a disregard to the law of God. Friends, the evidence between the true and the false is this one. The evidence is a what? An obedient life. That's the true one. Obedience to what? The Bible says, Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony of the prophets if they do not speak according to this word is because there is no what everyone lighting them we either accept that or we ignore that we must make a choice friends what vehicle did the devil use in the days of ancient rome the pagan roman empire to unite paganism with what Christianity. What was, you know, the tool that was used? How did they do that, friends? The pagan and the Christians had their differences, but the venerable day of the sun did what? United them. The pagans worshipped the sun god, and the Christians, they worshipped God on Sabbath, but they put that aside for the sake of unity, and they all embraced the sun day. Notice here another historical statement. The two Babylons on page 105, Dr. Alexander Hislop. It says, To conciliate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Rome, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals, what everyone, amalgamated, blend the two together. 
and to get paganism in Christianity now far sunk in idolatry in the case of Christianity in these as in so many other things to shake what? Shake hands. And friends, we will see more and more this happening. Uh, the two powers, the superpowers of Revelation 13 coming together, shaking hands to promote religious laws in this nation and Protestantism will embrace that union. Diverse reasons, friend. False revivals as we saw, but also the environment, global warming. All these will be used to promote Sunday worship. Notice carefully what it says here. This is the, the Pope encyclical letter, Laudato Si of the Holy Father Francis on care for our common home, June 18, 2015. Our common home referring to the planet Earth. He says, Sunday like the Jewish Sabbath... I, I just want to make an observation here. Is the Sabbath really a Jewish institution? Yes or no? no? No, it was given to mankind according to the words of Jesus. There in the book of Genesis chapter 2, before there was ever a Jew on the earth. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which do what? Heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the with the world. And then he goes on to say, Sunday is the day of the resurrection, the first day of the new creation, whose first fruits are the Lord's risen humanity, the pledge of the final transfiguration of all created reality. And then the last statement I want to read um, from this encyclical says, it was proclaimed, it also proclaims what? Man's eternal rest in God. In this way, Christian spirituality incorporates the value of relaxation and festivity. Now, friends, true revival will not come from church uniting with the state and pushing religious laws. True revival will come when God's people do what? According to Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The revival begins in our hearts, friends. But there are two revivals, and we must choose. I will just, for the sake of time, close the message with this verse. Revelation 14, verse 12. The Bible says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who what? Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us tonight to stay with his word, to stay with his teachings, to embrace his grace and allow his grace to transform us according to his word. Friends, if you know somehow the Holy Spirit impressed your heart tonight and you realize that you have a decision to make, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. It says, do not harden your hearts. Friends, the enemy wants to seal the word of God, the seed of God, of God that was planted in our hearts. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, as I said, this study is a hard study, it's a difficult study, but we praise you because you never send truth to humiliate, to discourage, but always to heal. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you may soften our hearts.
that you may pour your love into our hearts, but uh, we also pray that you may continue to guide us into your truth. We pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the power to live in obedience to your word. For we pray this in, in the name of Jesus, let God's people say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.